1: To get started, visit plushcare.com/weightloss. That's plushcare.com/weightloss.
2: Welcome to The Art of Charm. I'm Jordan Harbinger. The Art of Charm brings together the best coaches in the industry to teach you guys how to crush it in life, love, and at work. Imagine having a mix of experienced mentors teaching you their expertise, packing decades of research, testing, and tough lessons into a concise curriculum. We've created one of the premier men's lifestyle programs available anywhere, and it's free. This is the show we wish we had a decade ago. This show is about you, and we're here to help you become the best man you can be in every area of your life. Make sure to stay up to date with everything going on here and get some killer free e-books as well as drills and exercises that'll help you become more charismatic and confident by signing up for the newsletter at theartofcharm.com. If you're new to the show but you want to know more about what we teach here at The Art of Charm, listen to the toolbox at theartofcharmpodcast.com toolbox. That's where you'll get the fundamentals of dating and attraction, such as body language, eye contact, vocal tonality, all that stuff that's more important than you might think. We've got boot camps running every single month here in California. Details at theartofcharm.com, and I'm looking forward to meeting all of you guys here at The Art of Charm. Enjoy. All right, today we're talking with Daniel Duane, who is a writer for Men's Journal. I spotted this article. I linked to it in the show notes. I really like it. It's Why Men Suck at Friendship. We're going to talk about what friends mean to men, especially with regards to our health. Actually, there's data that shows that our health is highly dependent on our social circles. People who are lonely die quicker, have all kinds of more health problems. It's really insane. I was really surprised by what I learned there. I had no idea, so I thought I'd get the author on the show to discuss some of the finer points. And so, well, enjoy, and hopefully something you would learn here extends your life, or at least extends your social circle. Enjoy. Yeah. So first things first, who are you, and why should people listen to you? Because I saw your article in Men's Journal, and I really liked it about why men suck at friendship. So I thought I'd bring you on because I'm definitely curious as to why men suck at friendship. I believe it to be true, and you actually did the research, so I'm grateful for that because I certainly wasn't going to do it.
0: Yeah. Who who am I, and why should people listen? I'm nobody. People shouldn't listen to me, man. I'm just, you know, I'm just a guy. I mean, I'm just a guy. You know, I'm just a guy who writes magazine articles who started, uh, you know, just started thinking. My best, you know, I, I just write magazine articles and I write from my life. You know, a few, a few years ago, my best friend showed up at my door one day and said, dude, I'm, I think I'm moving to Seattle. I live in San Francisco. So, you know, one day there was like, actually, he called first and said, oh, man, I got to come over. I got to come over. Can I talk to you about something? And a couple minutes later, my doorbell rings and there's my buddy Matt. And uh, he says, oh, oh, man, I think I figured it out on my way over here. I think I, figured, I, I, think I have to move to Seattle. And it turned out his wife had gotten a killer job offer, and um, it was the right thing to do. You know, he 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 made the right. He did the stand up. He did the stand up move given the circumstances. But um, the next thing he had to do, once he and I had sort of kicked it around, was he had to he had to do the Coach Taylor thing out of Friday Night Lights. He had to drive downtown and uh, find his wife at work and uh, in person say, "Honey, I want to go. Let's go to Seattle for your job because of a." maybe a little misunderstanding they'd had earlier in the morning. So, uh, so Matt disappeared and I closed the door and I suddenly, you know, I felt like I'd been, you know, kicked in the stomach. I had this feeling of like, Oh my God, that's my best friend. My best friend is Lee. It's just going to be just like that. He's gone. And it's, and it just kind of made me start thinking about, wow, you know, you make great friends at different times in your life and then you lose them. And, and the truth is, you know, I, I had, I had thought it was, I had really kind of thought it was me over the years. Like, Ah, you know, maybe I just kind of suck at friendship and, and, uh, we all blow some things and I had definitely blown some friendships over the, I mean that, you know, in other words, that's like what isn't really in that article, but I had definitely blown, you know, there's some friend, there's some really close friendships that fell by the wayside through things that were definitely, you know, some fault of my own.
2: Yeah. but just, you know, lack of, well, just straight apathy and like lack of effort on your part.
0: Yeah. Apathy or we got in fights over stuff. You know, I was a, I was a dick about something and. And you know, just because I was being young and stupid and didn't have my head in the right place and didn't wasn't really thinking about what it was going to cost me, you know. And but other times, just moving on, you know, like my interests moved on, and that was that. I didn't look back. And I'd kind of, you know, I when I was researching this thing, I spoke to this guy, Jimmy um, Kim. Uh, no, no, what is his name?
2: Not probably not Jimmy. Not Kimmel. Jimmy
0: Kimmel. Different Kimmel. Michael Kimmel, I think, is his name. He's a sociologist and author, and he um, teaches courses on. Uh, on sort of male social and psychological issues and so I called this guy up and he said you know I can even tell you how most guys lives are going to go and he sort of gave me this rap he said you know the way it goes or at least the way it used to go this might be changing now you know but as he kind of said you know you grow up and as a little boy you have these super super tight buddies that are like your just best buddies in the whole entire world and then you move on to high school and maybe you kind of lose those early buddies, but you make a new tight crew maybe around whatever you're into, whether, you know, maybe it's on the, you know, the basketball team or the just guys you play, you know, video games with after school or whatever it is. You make this ultra tight crew of buddies and you're best buddies in the world and you're never going to part and then you all go off to separate colleges and you talk maybe once a year after that. But that's okay because then you get to college and if, you know, assume, you know, you get to college or wherever you go next in your life and you make a whole new bunch of buddies and uh, maybe on a team or in a fraternity or whatever it is and or just a job, you know, if you go off to work, you make a bu- and uh, you're bosom buddies and you do everything together and you're going to be together forever. And then all of a sudden you graduate or you move on, get a job in different towns and boom, you know, maybe you talk once a year. Maybe you get together once every couple of years. This turns out to be really standard, uh, and that's okay. We all kind of get used to this idea. Well, you know, there's always going to be a new posse of best buddies around the next corner. You know, in every turn, in every one of life's twists and turns. But then you get married, and and uh, you, or you get a real serious job, or both, and you don't have all that time for, you know, all the uh, for just sort of endless drinking beers and hanging out with your buddies and. I mean this this maybe is something that really starts to hit guys when they get a little bit older, you know. It's maybe not so much a problem in your late 20s, but by the time you get into your 30s, you know you, you don't have all that much time to just kind of be endlessly hanging out and drinking beers or yeah.
2: well you got you, know, you, you might have a girlfriend, you get family going, you've got real career stuff cuz you're not just like the 9 to 5 punch in, do the minimum, get promoted at a certain point, you have real responsibilities.
0: Yeah, exactly. And so now How much time do you have for that stuff, you know, and particularly if you've got a serious girlfriend or a wife and throw kids into the mix and forget it. Like Friday afternoon, you know, Friday evening rolls around. Hey, honey, I'm going to go go down to the sports bar and get hammered all night with my friends. Well, you know, maybe not so much. Right. Maybe once in a while.
2: And and also, I don't know about you, man, but I'm 34 now. I'm getting to the point where at the end of the day, sometimes I'm actually tired, which is kind of new for me.
0: <laughs> yeah,
2: you know, and and she's like, Jenny will come home and go. I don't know if I want to go out tonight. And I'm thinking, are you kidding me? I gave up on going out three hours ago. You know, I'm already in my pajamas. I mean, not that it's like six p.m. and I'm I'm in my pajamas, but you know, friends might be like, let's do a late dinner at nine thirty, and I'm thinking, oh <laughs> are you man, high? yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> are you high? Exactly.
0: Exactly. So this turns out to be sort of an observed sociological phenomenon in our you know, in, in, you know, in our generation and sort of where, you know, in the old days, I guess when, when it was really dad worked and mom didn't, you know, dad, dad would come home at the end of the, first of all, dad worked his butt off all week. And, uh, and then when, um, and, and men and women tended to have really different social worlds, like, you know, a guys, buddies were mostly people he knew from work. And, uh, the guy, And then on Sunday, when Saturday morning rolled around, let's say he'd been working hard all week, so he felt totally justified in saying goodbye to the little lady and going to the golf course for 18 holes on Saturday with, his, with the guys he knows from work, right? So that's a lot of time with men. And, uh, and women's socialized were sort of similar. They tended to know women that they met through the kids' schools or, you know, whatever it was when they weren't working. And uh, they'd spend a lot of time in, you know, whether it was playgrounds or helping out at the volunteering, whatever all this stuff that women would do they'd get to know each other that way. So men and women had these really different social spheres, but then you get into our era where, I mean, you know, in a lot of family, a lot of couples, shoot, you know, your girlfriend's got a job just as good as yours, if not better, or she's making just as much money. And, uh, she works as hard as you do. So you come home on the weekends and you're both exhausted and you're both wiped out. And she, she was crushing it Monday through Friday or Monday through Saturday, just as hard as you were. So where do you get off telling her to take care of the kids all day Sunday while you go on a, you know, 50 mile mountain bike ride. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's true. That's true. You know, the so it, so, it, have so, it, yeah, so it causes this kind of c- cocooning effect where people get home on the weekends and they're tired, they're burnt out and they kind of, and they also haven't seen each other all week, you know, and they kind of just end up cocooning in their own little worlds. So that's changing things too.
2: Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, we talk a lot on the show about gender role evolution and what that's, what's happened as a result and you're absolutely right you know i don't see jenny most of the week well, i i see her at night but you know she's in a better mood on the weekend i'll leave it at that and so am i for that matter and so we don't necessarily we are very active we are very big on on making friends and going out with friends but that's partially because we have a lot of energy for that she's still young i'm pretty young even still we really like where we are i work from home so usually by the weekend i'm itching to get the hell out of here right so i've got my studio here at aoc so there's a lot of there's a whole lot of activity going on living in a big city and things like that i can see where especially when people work in offices don't live in san francisco new york la miami etc they just kind of they do the cocooning thing and the problem with that is if you're cocooning and I'm cocooning and we're both friends, what happens is we never see each other.
0: So, and it turns out that, you know, so there is this slight potential glimmer of hope here, which is one one of the people I spoke to when I was doing this research was this guy. I spoke to a sociologist who's doing what this, it's called the longitudinal study of American youth, but you can really just think of it as this like epic study of Generation X, um, Generation X sort of lifestyle habits. And Generation X is actually a little older than I am, and but it still seems pretty relevant where there' you know there, there's this group of researchers following this huge group of people of this huge cohort of people in that age group, and what they are finding on the upside anyway is that people are having a lot more dinner parties than they used to, so maybe 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 you're not going out on Friday night with the boys as much as your dad did uh, certainly not. As much as my grandfather did down at the Irish, you know, corner pub, but so maybe you're not going out with the boys as much as you used to, but you are still with friends. It's just that the friends are couple friends more likely, right? You know, you get together with this couple for this. That's certainly how my wife and I get along in the world. And uh, you know, it may be. I mean, there is some case to be made that maybe we need to just accept that there's, as this guy John Miller, the one of the researchers I spoke to, put it, that there's a different metric of sociality now that we we just interact with each other in different ways, and that's not so bad. You know, I'm not, I'm not sure, but you know, it's, it's one way of looking well, at
2: it. Well, we can look at it like that, but you know, also, and we'll get to this later on in the show, we should care about it because there are some health benefits to having friends and, and we'll, we'll slowly make our way there. But first of all, it sounds like in our day and age, at least, especially for guys who are working and girls who are working, but we'll focus on men here it's a lot of work to make and maintain friends. I mean, first of all, how many friends do we need? I know you'd written something up that says we only need three. What's what's up with only needing three friends? I think that's probably already three more than a lot of people have, uh, or at least two more than a lot of people have. So, I mean this could be good news, right? We don't need 30. We don't need 20. We don't need to ha- be able to fill a room with our cohorts, but we at least need three.
0: Yeah, that's right. There, so there's the, that comes from this guy, Robin Dunbar, who's a a British researcher whose work is super interesting. And he, he sort of, he did these very sort of careful studies of, uh, these kind of concentric circles of intimacy in people's lives where he'd sort of figured out that we seem to have that, that we seem to have these, you know, that across huge numbers of people, people seem to have these very consistent numbers of people within these ever larger circles here, concentric circles. You can think about it like this and you're, he found that in your in people's sort of most immediate circle, which he closest circle, which he would call, you know, your circle of true intimates, people just generally had. They're generally like only three, two or three. So that let's say that's your wife. That could even include your wife too. Your wife and two buddies, um, and that's it. And then, the, the, in other words, those would be people that you truly confide with. And then there's we seem to have a slightly larger group, twelve to fifteen people, which you can think of as uh, the people who you'd be truly bummed if they died tomorrow, I'll put it that way, you know? <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, you know, so those aren't people you're like, when you got a burning issue in your life, you're necessarily going to call them out, uh, call them up and beg them to meet you for a beer so you can pour your heart out, you know, but there are people who really matter to you. And then there's weirdly, there's this bigger number, uh, of about 120, something like that, that, that dunbar has since become identified as dunbar's number which is the number of people with whom we seem to be it seems to be the maximum number with whom we can maintain stable social relations so and dunbar came up with this idea that he then hypothesized that our brains seem to be sort of structured and we're talking about hardware here for uh for certain numbers for sort of specific numbers of social connections within these circles um anyway so that's I guess we should bring it back to the number of intimates, but the number of the number of true intimates just isn't that big. It's a couple guys, you know?
2: Yeah. Okay. So, and that jibes with my own experience as well. And when you said the number of people that you would truly be, you would truly be bummed if they died. And, and yeah. then you think of that number and not including family, it's pretty small. Maybe I'm just a heartless bastard, but you know, it's really not a big, it, there's not
0: a whole. Yeah. Line. Yeah. If you really plumb your heart, right. That's the truth. Right. Yeah. There's, there's, I mean, let's say there's maybe 30 to 50. If they died, you'd go, oh, and you'd go to the wake and everything and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, you wouldn't be stricken for months. Right. But, but anyway, so there yeah.
2: Right. Yeah. I would be able, like, I'd be able to kind of go on with my day after that. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like I'm at the wake and I'm like, oh, it's so terrible. And then out in the parking lot, I'm like, so are you hungry? Do you want to go <laughs> get some sushi? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. But, you know, then again, I'm, I'm again, I may not be totally normal. I am drinking scotch at noon on a Tuesday, like a Shania Twain song. So that could be influencing what we're talking about here. But All right, good living. Um, yeah. <laughs> right.
1: Over the last 17 years, we have launched our fair share of online courses, coaching programs and finding the right platform has always been a challenge. They say if you do what you love, you never work a day in your life.
3: at indeed.com slash charm. Just go to indeed.com slash charm right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash charm. Terms and conditions apply.
2: Need to hire, you
1: need Indeed. All
2: right, let's get back to the show. Uh, and so are there different types of friends? Cause we, we sort of talked about this prior to the show as well, that sometimes you got friends where you're like, we're, we're buddies, we're really good buddies. And we, every day we go biking and like, this is my biking guy. But then when it comes time to, Hey, do you want to go? We should go on vacation. We should see who else wants to go. Like that guy might not even register as an option. I might not even bring across the idea that I'm going somewhere and like, I would invite that person right They're My biking guy. That's yeah. It. So,
0: right. So this, so this part of the this part of the story comes out of this sociological theory of the male what's called, they call the male deficit model, which is basically the model of why men suck, right? Why we have a deficit. Okay. And this came from the real quick version. And it's worth kind of doing a quick thumbnail of this because it's actually kind of a funny and interesting story if if you're on our side of it, uh, which is that let's say you know from time immemorial men rule the academic roost and they measure women's lives sociologists are measuring you know women's lives by a male ruler okay then in the 60s 1960s early 70s this first big wave of feminist scholars get into american universities and they start saying hey wait a minute this is kind of you know lame we we, you guys are you guys are measuring women's friendships based on how similar they are or are not to male friendships like would you die for each other in the foxhole you know that kind of stuff right well let's we need to redefine this whole thing so this generated these big surveys of friendships comparing men's and women's friendships based on a more female ruler of like you know do you guys gush out your truest deepest most painful feelings every single day for at least an hour. You don't. God, that's so pathetic. Yeah, you guys and suck at life. You exactly. suck at life. And this generated this thing that is literally called the male deficit model. And there's a, there was huge amounts of research to support it. Okay, one piece of that model was this observation, which really, you know, does resonate with me. It rings true, was this observation that male friendships tend to happen, uh, you know, the idea was that women women's friendships tend to happen around talk, right? Women get together, whether it's a drink or just on the phone or for coffee, and they gush their hearts out. And they just ch- – or they chatter about it, but they just talk. Men – male friendships tend to happen in these discrete categories, which are – and those are the ones you were mentioning, like an activity friend being the big one, the one we can all relate to. You know, like I have guys I go surfing with who just – like I just – I don't even know their last names or, you know, I don't even I – mean, I when we're in the water together, you know, it's bosom buddy time. Uh. But I don't even know their phone number. I just see them in the water. Or, you know, I have buddies I call up and we go cycling together. But that's kind of it. It's strictly within this activity, within a fixed activity. There are other versions of this, like the, the male mentor friendship, you know, an older guy mentoring a younger, younger guy in something. Or f- friendships that are around ex- exchanges of favors. That might be a neighbor, you know, that guy who came over and helped you fix your fence. And then when you see his roof's got a problem, you're out there, bam, grabbing your ladder and helping him. And that kind of feels good. You can develop a real bond around that, right? Right. The problem, the problem with these discrete friendships by, compared to, by comparison to friendships that are about talk is they don't do so well when the activity ends. Like, you, you know, I don't know, you get sick of cycling or something. You're over it and suddenly you want to play handball. Well, it's toast for that friendship. And, yeah uh,
2: right because he's not know. he's not necessarily going to be like cool i'll give up biking too because i really enjoy spending time with you it's like, yeah no way. you don't want to bike anymore uh okay dude let me know Later. if you change your mind see ya.
0: Exactly, cause yeah. exactly because i'm a cyclist and that thing with you is just like for cycling company
2: right right it, and it's funny because i do try to center my own friendships around many different things so i'll meet someone new and i'll be like let's go hiking and then it's like let's have our girlfriends come with us and so i'm sort of purposely escalating this, but I I ask my other friends about it and they're like, no, I don't do that ever. That's weird.
0: Yeah. So, so I'm, you know, I, I think we, I think you're bringing up an important point here, which is I think all of us, I, I, first of all, I think things are changing and moving on, moving along a little bit. And I think all of us to some degree are starting to do that more. Like the truth is I, I have these friendships in those categories. I described the mentor friendship, the utility friendship, the activity friendship but there's also guys i just go out to dinner with and uh and and i'm working on that more and more because i'm actually perfectly comfortable with that model i don't mind just going out and dinner i mean if you know if a guy's fun to talk i'm happy to have friendships like that and i'm along a more female model as it were um that's fine with me and i think there's maybe some way in which you know guys are getting more comfortable with that kind of thing going that way a little more
2: yeah, I think it has to be done sort of more deliberately, though. And and one of the skill sets, one of the major skill sets that we teach at the Art of Charm, is creating, maintaining, and developing relationships. And I, I get a lot of guys at AOC that are like, "Listen, I'm married, or I'm an, I've got a girlfriend. You know, I don't consider myself any kind of weirdo or anything, and I have friends, but I would like to be much better with people." And then one of the primary things that they report post boot camp, uh, if they come to our live programs in LA, is wow, you know, I never realized that I could create more friendships, go to this deeper level without being like kind of a weirdo about it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. If that makes sense. So. Sure. And and it's important because that's really where a lot of people report the happiness. They might go, yeah, I'm meeting a lot of girls. Yeah, which is why a lot of people come in. But they're like, but really, man, my friendships are just, they're off the chain, I've got these this cool new circle everybody's doing interesting things, everybody's smarter, we're more active, I'm in better shape now because you do things with your friends and successful people are usually balanced in that area. And it's funny because guys will come in because they want to get a promotion at work or because they want to learn how to meet and attract women, but they come out and they you know 3 months down the line one of the most reported benefits is man my social circle is off the hook. And so that leads me to that's what really piqued my interest about the article was because, holy cow, guys do suck at friendships, and oh my god, it's so important to be good at them. Why are we letting ourselves go here? It doesn't really matter why. We can talk about it, but I think you know in the example you give in your article, which is that your friend you know was moving and things like that, and the, the friendships are different between men and women. Men essentially, and you have a study that you cited about this. Men essentially are just we're just kind of bad communicators generally. And, which, I mean, every guy who's a guy probably knows more than one who's a terrible communicator. If it wasn't your dad, it was your uncle. If, if it wasn't one of those, it's probably every dude that you work with, right? I think men who are great communicators are more rare than men who are not. And we suffer as a result because we don't find as much satisfaction in our friendships and communication as we would like, according to the data. This isn't just something that we're making up here.
0: Yeah, that's right. So that there have been quite a number of studies over the years looking at sort of looking at the nature of male friendships versus the nature of female friendships, but then also asking men and women to sort of rate their satisfaction with their friendships. And, you know, one of the sort of more surprising ones I saw, and so very consistently men rate their friendships more poorly than women do in other words they you know when they say how, how close how close are your friends how many close friends do you have how satisfying are their friendships men give lower scores than women do but another thing that's sort of curious is that men will often when in there was there i i, I read the results of a study in which men were asked to rate their friendships with men versus their friendships with women and they also very consistently rated their friendships with men as less intimate than their just straight platonic friendships with women because when they, it's as if when guys got together with women, they were comfortable talking about stuff that mattered to them. Whereas when guys get together with men, as we all know, there can be, although a lot of us are trying to get over this, you know, move beyond it. But there can be that kind of, you know, there's all these ways we're trying to not seem weak. You know, you're trying to seem independent. I don't know. You know, you don't. We get nervous about showing certain kinds of vulnerability with each other.
2: Yeah, you're jostling. You're playing this imaginary, totally irrelevant game where you're, like, jostling for alphaness or something, and it becomes a really big problem, especially when, for example, your sports friends, you know, like, the guy might be, he doesn't have to say, race you to the next light, but if you're biking and you're having trouble going up a hill, you know, he might be, he might go ahead of you and then get to the top and nearly have a coronary and go, meh, that wasn't so bad. Right. Yeah. And you're going, oh, man, you know, this guy. And so later on, if you do grab lunch or something after that, you're not going to turn around and be like, yeah, I'm having this issue with my girl because he just kicked your butt in that sport. And somehow that lingering effect is like is working negatively on you. Or if you did, sometimes the other guy, instead of going, oh, let's talk about this and become real friends, might be like uh, and change the subject. Or, you know, when you're younger, of course, and you're in college or high school, some of your friends might even be like, so what? gay mo shut up yeah you
0: know <laughs> sure so that so the gay piece of this is also a really interesting piece of the story i think so in in reading all this stuff i came to feel that another sort of interesting piece of this puzzle was that and i'm open to hearing you know opposing views on this but it, it, it looked like one narrative that was emerging for me was that there is this curious way in which And and this has been very widely documented that from the time of the ancient Greeks, basically until about 1964, uh, the, the conventional wisdom in Western civilization was that males, male friendship was one of the glories of human life and far superior and more intimate than female friendship. And this was even the opinion of some of the great feminist writers, including, uh, uh, including Simone de Beauvoir, Sartre's, Sartre's, you know, lifelong love. So th- some of the great feminist writers even wrote essays making this case that men seem to have these intensely intimate, loving friendships. And when you read the, lo- the sort of letters between close male buddies from, you know, the first part of the 20th century and before the 19th century and Lincoln and his friends, they're just gushing with overt expressions of love for each other and you know, one way of sort of one sort of speculation about what why this all evaporated is that when is that when gay male identity emerged as a totally legit and viable sort of, sort of totally legit and viable identity in the early to mid twentieth century, it had this kind of collateral damage of pushing straight male friendship into the closet. So, right. so
2: now we're the ones in the closet. Touche, yeah. gay men everywhere. Touche. Right.
0: Yeah, because it's well, because it's like you know, it was fine to. Say, I mean, saying to your buddy, "I love you, man," is is scarier when there's like this possibility that like maybe you love each other for realsies. You know, you know <laughs> do you I mean? love
2: me or do you love love me yeah, or do that, you love
0: nerve right? Right. Yeah. because if you yeah. do
2: one of those then i'm out of here and the other one <laughs> yeah. i'll reciprocate graciously
0: right but but then i think if you look at movies like the one called i love you man and, so, and there's this uh there's that uh, there's an awesome uh youtube music youtube sensation music video called bromance or something where um that th- you know if you look at sort of the Pop cultural genre of the bromance, it which is really emerging and strong now. It looks to me like the 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 weakening of homophobia in American popular culture is letting straight male friendship back out of the closet a little bit.
2: Thank God for that, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Because <laughs> we're already crappy at it. Why do we have to have a stigma attached to it on top of it? Like, exactly. we, like we need it to be any harder. <laughs> yeah. um,
1: Be kind to your mind and get these nootropid chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose,
2: treat, cure, or prevent any disease. All right, let's get back to the good stuff. And it it totally makes sense. You'd actually, and this was really sad, you'd mentioned in the article, a just-completed report from California State University Humboldt Holds that the closer men adhere to traditional male gender roles like self-reliance and a reluctance to spill their guts, the worse their friendships fare. And you go on to state that since most men don't let themselves think or feel about friendship, this immense collective and personal disappointment is usually concealed, sloughed over, shrugged away. And that's, I guess, psychologist Stuart Miller wrote that in his opus Men in Friendship. The older we get... The more we accept our essential friendlessness. And that is so depressing, man.
0: Yeah, that's pretty bleak, isn't it? It is.
2: It's so bleak.
0: I know, I know, man. It was when I was reading that stuff, you know. So this all started for me, like I said, with my buddy moving and feeling blue and just starting to read around. And, you know, is it me? Am I, do I just, do I just suck at friendship or what, what's the deal? And, and when it was kind of, it was kind of when I came across that stuff that it put the fear in me, you know, and I thought, I got to air all, I got to put all this out there. And, try to confront it. I can't can't deal with that. You know, I don't want to be that poor, lonely old bastard, you know, watching TV all day and pretending the news anchors are his friends.
2: Right, right. Yeah, having conversations, getting like three cats. (laughs) Yeah. Talking about them like they're his kids. Exactly. Yeah. But it goes beyond that, right? And that's sort of to the point, why do we care? And how do we know that this is important? And you actually cite some scientific research that says scary things like, loneliness accelerates age-related declines in cognition and motor function yikes i mean what so everybody who's like whatever i don't have time for friends i am working really hard and i'm doing this and i've got to we're going to address all of your puny little objections in a minute but what is it about friendships loneliness that we have to be careful of when it relates to our actual physical health
0: yeah so you know, at the kind of big population level, I, I was talking to this to a um, a guy named a, a doctor at the Mayo Clinic named Michael Joyner, who's a who sort of specializes in age related research. And I and this actually came up in a research I was doing for a different article. And I was I was writing an article about sort of the secrets of longevity for Men's Journal, and uh, I was asking you know this guy, so you know, talk to me, omega three fatty acids, man, and you know, is it cardio? Is it strength? And and, uh, you know, what kind of multivitamin should guys be taking? And he just said, you know what? He basically just said N- that stuff is all noise. N- none of that stuff has, you know, has anything like the impact when we look at, he- you know, data from huge populations. None of that has anything like the impact of social connection in affecting longevity. That the people who live, a long, t- who live long healthy lives, is it, you know, the way he was putting it was like, the kind of life you want, I mean, the kind of life you really, the sort of best case scenario, right, which is where you live totally independently until 90 and then the lights go out in your your sleep one night. You know, one night you just don't wake up from a good dream, right? I mean, that's kind of how you want it to go. So he's saying, you know, that's the successful aging. Well, he's saying, you know, those people, the one one thing they all have in common is social connection. They've got friends. And then at the more physiological level, It's this guy, John T. Cacioppo, who has done – I think he's at Berkeley, who um, has written a book on loneliness, who has done – he's sort of pioneered this field of of looking at the biology of loneliness, where they've started to be able to identify um, really specific uh, biological stress markers caused by – that are directly linked to loneliness. So, you know, these involve – weakening of the immune system, greater susceptibility to viruses. They involve, uh, there are all these inflammation markers we've all heard of that are behind increased risk of, you know, pretty much every chronic disease, you know, cancer, heart disease, diabetes. And, uh, you know, there have been studies just sort of directly linking upticks in those inflammation markers to loneliness, you know, where the lonelier people are, the fewer connections they have. It's it's direct physiological health stuff.
2: Wow. So basically, loneliness, like you'd said in the article, accelerates age-related declines in cognition and motor function and disease and inflammation, etc. So you would mentioned also that a single good friend has been shown to make as much as a 10-year difference in overall life expectancy. That's ridiculous.
0: Yeah, that's an astounding figure, isn't it?
2: If you'd said a year or two, I'd have been like, eh, cool. I can... I, you know, I'll deal yeah. with that three years. I would have been like, huh, oh, okay. I need to get some friends, but a decade. I mean, that's the difference between dying at 80 and dying at 90.
0: It's a huge difference. And but I don't think, I think it's important to qualify that one. I don't think that means that like, if you have three awesome friends right now, getting a fourth would extend your life by 10 years. <laughs> you know not. what I mean? Yeah. I think it's probably more like if you have none, you better get one or you're going to die young from loneliness.
2: Ouch. Right. Yikes. And you'd go on to state that loneliness, according to actual doctors, not just us two yahoos, loneliness is just as harmful to health as not exercising, smoking 15 cigarettes a day and alcoholism and fully twice as bad as being obese. So basically, if you're a fat, lonely, alcoholic smoker, you're pretty much you're probably dead already. You're not even listening to this.
0: Yeah, isn't that astonishing? Yeah, that that the the effect is 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 literally comparable to all of those things, with all these things that we all have accepted as like, you know, the number one health killer no nos to avoid if we're gonna have like a, you know, functional, successful life. Right. So loneliness is right in there with all of them. And yet we never talk about it.
2: It's amazing. And it's because everybody knows that drinking too much is bad for you. Everybody knows that smoking too much is bad for you. Everybody knows that being fat is bad for you. But if you do all those things and you have a bunch of really awesome friends, you might outlive somebody who runs every day and eats healthy. That's insanity. Yeah. Yeah, Crazy. Yeah. Unbelievable. So (laughs) is this just because isolated people tend to drink, you know, drink more and eat crap food and exercise less? I mean, is it just because people who don't have friends are doing bad things instead of hanging out with their friends, or is there a direct physical link
0: to loneliness? That yeah, you no, know, that, count- that, right, right. So the studies have, the studies have um, accounted for that question, right? In other words, so they've been, they've been able to, um, they've been able to sort of correct the data for. Uh, for for the negative effect of the drinking, of the smoking, of those kinds of things. And there's a very clear signal that comes just from loneliness alone, just from the stress of loneliness. So just, you know, all you got to do is just sort of sit there and close your eyes and daydream to some time when you've been achingly lonely in your life. Imagine, you know, generate that feeling in your body and then realize that year after year after year of that feeling starts to have these kind of cellular effects.
2: Yuck jacks up your stress hormones jacks up all kinds of fight or flight responses inside your body all kinds right. of stuff it's it's like theoretically looking back evolutionarily being without your tribe is dangerous so maybe there's a there's a reason for that biologically
0: right right that, yeah that's the, that's the sort of that's the explanation for oh, it, it is oh cool you know, that now I that is very smart no you are you are very smart yeah <laughs> that's that's the uh that's actually the the sort of best speculation as to what this is all about is that you know, let's imagine you're in your hunter-gatherer setting. Humans humans are dramatically safer and more successful, in, you know, in sort of wilderness hunter-gatherer setting, hunter-gatherer settings, in groups than wandering around by themselves. So it's, it, it makes perfect sense that we would develop that as highly social beings whose survival depended on sociality, that we would develop a stress, a sort of a stress response when we find ourselves too alone that we would, you know, let's say if you wander away from the, you wander away from the tribe into that dense jungle in the middle of the night and some part of your brain says, um, I'm not sure this is a good idea. You're going to, you know, you're going to get this fight or flight anxiety response. That's, that's going to want to drive you back to the group. Now, if it, if all it does is drive you back to the group and you get back there pretty quick, that is going to contribute to long-term survival. So that's a good thing. But if you can't get back to that group in sort of modern, you know, in our contemporary lives, in other words, if you've lost all those buddies from high school and you're not, you, they're not coming back uh, and you don't know how to get any new ones, then you're going to stay in that fight or flight anxiety state for, you know, year after year after year. And that's when it starts to be sort of dysfunctional and um, have a counterproductive effect on your health.
2: Right. So, literally learning and mastering social skills such as what we're doing here at the art of charm could literally extend your life. I'm just going to go ahead and make that tenuous connection
0: uh, or not. not legit, man. I think that I'm all for that. I don't have any problem with that. Yeah, that seems right.
2: It's not so tenuous though. When you look at the, when you look at the fact that it extends your life by 10 years to have one good friend or, Mm -hmm. or, you know, to Mm -hmm. have that posse. Um, But all right. So what if I married, you know, and I'm thinking, well, my wife's my best friend or whatever. You hear that all the time. What if I'm married, you know, does that, sort of is that good enough or does it have to be
0: some man-on-man friendship here it's got to be man-on-man man. i mean I'm sure you could have a female but you know pal but but it's got to be a non-romantic and i mean look clearly having a good marriage is having a good marriage is is also big news in health terms it's not i don't sure. want to diminish that but again uh these, these studies have the, there was a big study of this in Australia of, which is where a bunch of these figures come from about, um, the relationship between, uh, loneliness and longevity and that, that, that figure about one good friend and that, and, and the researchers there sort of cl- were able to sort of clearly differentiate between family connections and a straight friend connection. So while I don't want to discount the value of having, you know, being, you know, grandchildren on your knee and all that beautiful stuff later in life, that's clearly important. There, there is something distinctively and powerfully beneficial about just straight up friendship that it's not the same. And furthermore, as that guy Dunbar found, the guy I mentioned who, uh, you know, came up with Dunbar's number and the concentric circles of intimacy, the guy says you only need three good friends. Dunbar, in a later and interesting piece of research, used the, uh, the, the call records of a mobile phone database in the UK so it's apparently something like 3 billion calls to, to sort of track the calling patterns of men and women over many years according to their age and was able to sort of figure out by doing this that up until a certain point of their lives, women tend to treat the, the, the man in their lives as their primary confidant. But that there's some distinct marker, some distinct threshold they cross. Women cross where they suddenly switch their sort of primary allegiance and intimacy away from their husbands and toward a younger female friend, presumably a daughter or you know, I don't know, maybe a Bill. friend. Of yeah, right. So that your sucks. wife's gonna, your wife's all over. It's like your wife's all over this already. She knows down the line in life she's got to you know get a new. Uh, she's got to get. You know, she's got to get a new girl online to hang out with. Um, right exactly.
2: Yikes. so basically as dudes even if you're like my wife's my best friend it doesn't have the same health benefits and besides she's just gonna dump you anyway so
0: exactly you get used to it thank
2: exactly. you very much daniel and we will link to the article in the show notes and we're also going to try to find that bromance video to to link up on youtube as well in the show notes guys make friends it'll extend your life men do suck at friendship You're going to have different types of friends, convenience friends, activity friends, and mentor friends. Probably should try to get at least one of each, if not more, and cure that male deficit. Thanks so much.
0: My pleasure, Jordan. Right on. Thanks for having me, man.
2: Hope you enjoyed this one. I really like this format, and hopefully something in here extends your life by 10 years. All right, I saw this article on Quora, or rather this story on Quora by Shuba Swaminathan. I'm sure I butchered that, but it doesn't really matter. The point is, the question was, how do I change my life as a teenager? Or how do I get my life back on track as a teenager? And she says, I will tell you a story. There was a young girl who was raised in circumstances where three meals a day was a luxury. Her family was so poor, she couldn't afford to wear footwear or books. She would wear overly long dresses to school so her classmates wouldn't notice her bare feet. Her father had old-fashioned ideas about how sons versus daughters should be raised. Education did not figure in his priorities for his daughters. However, a sympathetic colleague of his at work would sneak his daughter paper that was used only on one side. The girl would then sew them into a notebook and use those at school. Since she couldn't afford textbooks either, she would borrow them from her classmates in return for helping them with their homework and would copy by hand every word and every diagram from each textbook into her homemade, single-sided notebooks. She could have bemoaned her fate and quit school. Instead, she chose to look at this as extra practice and never complained. Invariably, she would graduate at the top of her class and eventually made it all the way to high school, fighting tooth and nail against her circumstances all the way every single day. It was the night before finals. She was putting the finishing touches on her biology lab work journal, updating the diagrams, dotting the I's, crossing the T's, that kind of thing. It represented an entire year's worth of her work. She was so engrossed in her school's work that she forgot to look at the clock. It was her father's dinner time and she had not warmed his food yet. That was enough to drive him to such rage that he grabbed her journal and stuck the entire thing in the wood stove. Through blurry eyes she watched her entire year's labor go up in flames. In order to make that journal, which had to be submitted to external examiners for grading, she had specially gathered sheets of paper with pencil writing on one side and erased every pencil mark using erasers so small they were discarded by their previous owners as unusable. She then measured and hand-cut each sheet so they were all the exact same size before starting work on the journal of a hundred-plus pages. She could have crumbled and spirit-crushed beyond hope at this point. Instead, when life handed her lemons, she decided she was going to make the best damn lemonade anyone's ever tasted. She served her father dinner, and after he went to bed, she set about recreating an entire year's worth of work overnight by the light of an oil lamp because her father would have her hide if she wasted electricity studying. This time, she was racing against the clock and didn't have the time to identify and erase sheets with pencil marks and trim them all the way to precisely the same size. This cost her when her work was graded. She ended up topping the class anyway. She graduated high school with perfect scores and the highest honors in math, physics, and biology, and with one point less than a perfect score in chemistry. She was under immense pressure to accept the job offer from a local bank to work as a teller. The family really needed the money. But she dreamed of going to college. She was convinced education was her one-way ticket out of poverty. She had her heart set on medical school. And when her father heard that, he refused to give her money to buy a stamp till the last day the application was due, and on the last day, refused her bus fare so she could drop off the application in person. She could have resigned herself to her fate and become bitter. Instead, she decided to use what resources she did have. She used her legs as her mode of transport. She walked three hours each way to the university offices to drop off her application defying her father. She was accepted, of course, and was given a cutoff date to pay the fees in order to register. Her father wasn't going to spend a penny on his daughter's education. Instead, he agreed to let her go to college on the condition that she somehow bring home the same money she would have earned had she accepted the job as a bank teller. Registration date came and went. The girl had no way to pay the fees and therefore could not register. She could have given up at this point and consoled herself that her dreams were beyond her means. Instead, she told herself that winners never quit and quitters never win and pursued her dreams anyway. She would walk three hours every day to the dean's office on the university campus and wait for him outside his office from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. every day, hoping he would agree to see her and give her a chance to plead her case. On day number five, the dean relented and asked her to come in and tell him why she was camped outside his office all day for the past week. She accepted the invitation and told him her story. The dean heard her out and asked her to come on Monday and begin classes. She assumed she'd been awarded some sort of student loan and went home counting down hours to the first day of class. The dean had been so moved by her story that he not only wrote a personal check to the university each year to cover her tuition, he also gave her a monthly stipend equal to the pay she would have made as a teller that she could take home to her father every month. She only found out about this incredible act of kindness after she graduated and went to the university office to find out what she owed and was told she owed them nothing. Fast forward to year two into medical school. The girl's vision began to deteriorate. She'd been planning to specialize in neurosurgery and all of a sudden she could hardly read anything except the largest fonts no matter how close she held the book. An eye exam revealed a rare degenerative condition that causes loss of vision. It could not be reversed, but it could be halted. At the point at which they found out and managed to stop the loss, her vision was 2,200, considered legally blind in most places, and that was the good news. This was the first ever eye test she's ever had in her life. Only at this point did they discover that she was practically blind in the other eye and had been using her one good eye all along to compensate. She could have finally thrown in the towel at this point and concluded that this was just not meant to be, blamed her luck and her misfortune. Instead, she decided to roll with the punches. She could not possibly become a neurosurgeon with 2200 vision. Bummer. But who said she couldn't be a radiologist? Many did, but she chose to tune them out. She went on to graduate from medical school with a specialization in radiology. 31 years after starting her professional career, she retired at the age of 62, a world-class doctor, head of the Department of Radiology at an acclaimed hospital, internationally recognized for her contributions and pioneering work in the field. Her vision is a little worse now than when she started out, and she's since been officially diagnosed with a vicious form of scleroderma and autoimmune disorder, but she consults for free when family or former colleagues seek out her expertise or on especially tricky cases where indigent patients are involved. How do I know this? This woman is my mother. Every single time I want to give up or quit or take the easy way out, I remember her story. I regain a sense of perspective and acknowledge how fortunate I am to have the resources that I do the incredible story of how these resources were provided for me, I draw tremendous inspiration from her life story. She was able to turn her life around from the appalling circumstances of her childhood. through having the right attitude, resilience, sheer dint of hard work and perseverance, so can you regardless of your present circumstances. The human spirit is something incredible. Harness it to your benefit. Amazing story. Thank you very much, Shuba, for sharing that. I think that's absolutely incredible. And anybody sitting around making excuses about why they can't do something needs to re-listen to that one. All right, show feedback and guest suggestions. We rely on you guys to help keep our finger on the pulse. So if you know someone who's a good fit for the show, let us know at jordanh at theartofcharm.com. Bootcamp details for our live programs also at theartofcharm.com, and that's where you're going to find links to us on Twitter, Facebook, and other social media as well. If you're listening to this but you're not subscribed in iTunes or Stitcher or something like that, then that needs to change. Getting our shows delivered free to your phone or computer is the best way to make sure you don't miss a thing. You can do that by going to iTunes and searching for the Art of Charm podcast or by going to theartofcharm.com slash iTunes and clicking subscribe. That's really it. And you guys can help us. Subscribe in iTunes and give us a five-star rating. Write something nice and we will love you forever. Just go to iTunes.com slash The Art of Charm and it'll take you right there. When you write us a review, it not only makes us feel proud, but it helps keep us up in the ranks so that other people who can use this information can find the show more easily to get the credible advice that they need. It's also the best way to support the show other than purchasing products and training from us. So tell your friends because the greatest compliment you can give us is a referral to someone else either in person or shared on the web. Now have a great week, go out there and get social, and leave everything better than you found it.